Welcome to Master Mentors, a series where Brad Sugar sits down and interviews leading authors, business owners, influential decision makers, public speakers, and anyone who's making a major difference in the world today. People we can learn from together. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play to get more of these great learnings. And joining me, I have the absolute privilege of having the master of guerrilla marketing, Jay Conrad Levinson, on the line with us today. Jay, welcome to the call. Thank you for inviting me to be here, Brad. Well, my master mentor series would be, uh, it, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be complete if I didn't have uh, one of the greatest mentors on marketing that existed. So it's my pleasure to have you with us. Um, Jay, look, I, I want to firstly congratulate you on building the brand you've built and, and really just ask, you know, because a lot of people, when they come to building a brand that lasts for so long, they don't realize how much work that is. What, what's been the key to you for building such a strong brand over such a long time? I think the key has been my willingness to give talks. Uh, I never put the two and two, two, two together. I wanted to give talks because I was passionate about my topic, but it turns out that uh, when I give talks, that also sells books, that also builds the brand, and uh, uh, also the fact that marketing is always changing, so I'm always impelled to write new marketing books to keep up with the changes, and I guess yeah. that natural evolution of marketing uh, has been one of the other main reasons that the brand has become uh, so astoundingly big. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting, Jay, because a lot of the principles of your guerrilla marketing are timeless too, not just change with the times, but they, these are principles that are there forever. That's true, uh, because um, e even though marketing changes, uh, human nature hasn't really been changing much, and mm. so we have to keep the best of the old and marry it to the best of the new. Yeah, yeah. And Jay, I've always admired the, the stamina of building such a brand, and you mentioned the, the ability to give talks. I, I always think that a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of think business just must be easy for guys like you and guys like me. You know, it must be easy. But there's a lot of hard work in the background for this sort of stuff. There's a whole lot of hard work and homework. You've got to keep abreast of what's happening all over the place, not just in what you've been reading or paying attention to, but everything that's around because information is coming at you from all directions these days. And I think that that's one of the keys to keeping a brand alive is keeping up with, with all the things that are changing in, in the world, not, not just marketing. Yeah. And, of course, well, it comes from feeling a passion for your topic as you do about yours. Yeah, and and you know when when you look at your topic of marketing, Jay, how do you define what what is marketing for you? Well, marketing is really all contact that anybody who's not a member of your business has with anybody uh, who is a member of your business. So that means everybody who works with you and for you is part of your marketing team. Marketing is really the truth made fascinating. Uh, very often, marketing wasn't the truth, and certainly it wasn't always fascinating. But guerrilla marketing says that's what marketing really is and should be, the truth made fascinating. It's also your chance to educate your market on how to succeed at their goals, whatever their goals are, building a bigger company, losing weight, playing better tennis, um, attracting a mate, whatever their goals are, marketing is your chance to show people how to achieve those goals. And these days, we're living in the information age, so all you've got to give them is good information, and they'll appreciate it. Uh, marketing 
although it seems that it may be an art form because it embraces writing and dancing and music uh, and acting, the reality is it's really a business. Marketing is a fancy word that means selling, but it is the art of getting people to change their minds. So marketing, <clears throat> and the most important thing, is that uh, marketing is a process. It's not an event. It's a process that has a beginning and a middle, but if you do it right, it doesn't really have an end unless you decide to sell your business. Yeah. Now, Jay, you've, you've talked about before the number of touches it takes for someone to actually consider making a purchase with us. Take me through a little bit more about that, because I find that fascinating. Well, instead of touches, we talk about how many times must your marketing message penetrate a person's mind to move them from a state of total apathy, which means they've never heard of you, to a state of purchase readiness, which means they're dying to buy what you are selling. And amazingly, the researchers who asked this question came up with an answer, and the answer was nine. So that means people's minds must be penetrated nine times to move them from apathy to purchase readiness. But that's only the good news. The bad news is for every three times you put the word out, um, people aren't paying attention two of those times. So it means if you put the word out, on radio, television, magazines, newspapers, emails, signs, however you put the word out. Uh, if you put it out three times, you've only penetrated a person's mind one time. And what do you suppose happens then? The answer is that nothing happens. So then you put the word out six times. You've penetrated a person's mind two times. And what happens then is they think they've heard of you somewhere before. They're not sure, but at least they think they've heard of you. You're not really a total stranger if so you put the word out nine times, and this is when you've penetrated their mind three times, and this is when they not only realize they've heard of you, but they're thinking that maybe it would be in their best interest to learn more about you. That's all. They don't take any action. So you put the word out 12 times, and you've penetrated their mind four times, and at this point, they may ask somebody if they've ever heard of you, your business, your product, your brand. Um, at the end of 15 times of putting out the word, you've penetrated their mind five times, and this is the time that they're probably going to click over to your website or call your 800 number or clip your coupon and try to learn more about you. So the momentum has really started and it's swinging into high gear after you've put the word out 15 times. But notice, they're not nearly ready to buy your product. They're not nearly ready to purchase your service. They are just ready to get to know you better and you to get to know them better. And so... Most people who run a business, having put the word out 15 times, they think, well, I'm probably doing everything wrong. So they abandon their marketing plan. They abandon the media that they're using. They abandon their brand identity because they think they're doing it wrong or when all along they've been doing it right. They need to keep putting out the word until they put it out 27 times. And once they've done that, a person's mind has been penetrated nine times uh, that's why we call this a process. And at that point, they're ready to buy your product. They treat you like a friend, even though you don't know them from Adam or Eve, but, because, but you have built up a sense of familiarity. And that sense of familiarity is what's going to really break down any barriers that there may have been before, and they're going to buy your product. So unless you're a patient person, you just aren't going to be able to hang in there long enough to penetrate a person's mind nine times. Yeah. Jay, it fascinates me because a lot of, especially small businesses, they don't have the, the, the ability to 
you know, stay in business that long to build a reputation or to build penetration into the mind of their customer. And that's why I find guerrilla marketing so fascinating. What, what in your mind is the difference between guerrilla marketing and traditional marketing? Well, traditional marketing says your primary investment should be money, and guerrilla marketing says that's not necessary. Your primary investments should be time, energy, imagination, and knowledge. Traditional marketing intimidates most people because it's enshrouded by a mystique. Guerrilla marketing completely removes the mystique from the marketing process. Anyone who's learned about guerrilla marketing through books or talks, seminars, whatever, uh, they have no questions about marketing. They really understand it for what it is. Another difference, traditional marketing was always geared to big business with deep pockets. Guerrilla marketing is geared to small business with empty pockets. And although big business buy up several thousands of copies of the book at a time, um, the reality is the soul and the spirit, the essence of guerrilla marketing is truly small business. Another difference, traditional marketing measures its performance by sales or hits to a website or traffic into a store. Those are the wrong numbers to look at. The only number that guerrillas look at are profits. Lots of companies set sales records while losing money all along or get a lot of hits to their website but still aren't making money. That's why guerrillas only focus on profits. If the profits go up, they're probably doing things right. If the profits go down, they're probably doing something wrong. Another difference, traditional marketing has always been based on experience and judgment, which is a fancy way of saying guesswork. But guerrillas cannot afford to make wrong guesses, so guerrilla marketing is based as much as possible on psychology, actual laws of human behavior such as knowing the difference between left-brain people who are influenced by logical, sequential reasoning and right-brain people who are influenced by emotional aesthetic appeals. Um, It's knowing that 90% of all purchase decisions are made in the unconscious mind, and there's a slam-dunk manner to access the unconscious mind, and that is through repetition. Once you put those two facts together, that repetition accesses the unconscious, and the unconscious is where purchase decisions are made, you begin to have an idea for how the process of guerrilla marketing works. Another difference, traditional marketing says grow your business and then diversify. Guerrilla marketing says don't diversify, grow your business and then maintain your focus. Add even more excellence, but don't think of diversifying. You'll get into waters over your head. Coca-Cola says our name means beverages, let's buy a winery. And after they dropped over $80 million, they thought, well, maybe our name means soft drinks. The, uh, world, <laughs> the world is just loaded with stories like that of companies yeah. that got in over their head because they thought they were supposed to have diversified. So mm. another crucial difference, uh, one of the huge differences, is that traditional marketing uh, has always grown their businesses uh, linearly, which is to say they add new customers one at a time. And uh, that takes a lot of time, and it's very expensive. So gorillas grow their businesses geometrically, growing in several different directions at once. They enlarge the size of each transaction. They aim to have more transactions per year or per sales cycle with each of their customers. They realize that each one of their customers is the center of a network, so they tap the enormous referral power of those people, and they grow the old-fashioned way linearly. Now, if you're growing with larger transactions, more transactions per year, referral transactions and linear transactions, you're growing in four different directions at once. 
doesn't cost much money at all, if anything. Uh, and it does take time, energy, imagination, and knowledge. But it sure is a path to profit. Another huge difference, traditional marketing says marketing is over once you've made the sale. Guerrilla marketing says that's when the real fun begins. It's the follow-up that's going to really bring the profits into your life. It's the follow-up that makes the difference between businesses succeeding and failing. 68% of business lost in Asia, in the United States, and in Europe, uh, and I'm sure also Australia. It's a loss not due to shabby quality or, or, poor, or, or poor service, but due to customers being ignored after they've made the purchase. Gorillas never ignore their customers. They keep customers for life because they understand the deeper meaning of follow-up. Another difference, traditional marketing thinks about competition. And although guerrilla marketers are aware of competition, they think about cooperation. They're always on the lookout for other businesses with the same kind of prospects as them. They came to the same kind of standards as them. So they worship at the shrine of cooperation, not competition. Uh, traditional businesses, this is another difference. Think you should have a logo because points made to the eye are 78% more effective than points that are made to the ear. Guerrilla marketing says a logo isn't enough anymore. This is the 21st century, and you need more than a logo. What you really need is a meme, M-E-M-E. It's a word that um, was invented in 1976 and popularized in Australia by some brilliant writers who knew that a meme, unlike a logo, communicates an entire idea. Everybody listening to what we're talking about now probably has been influenced by a meme today already because international traffic symbols are memes. Without instructions and without time, without language, they communicate an entire idea. And so gorillas try to do that. They try to communicate an idea immediately rather than just a swoosh that communicates the name of a company. You need to Mm. do more than that. Traditional marketing has always been me marketing. Go to anybody's website. They say about our company, about our staff, about our history, about our headquarters, about our clients. Gorilla, uh, but people who visit your website aren't interested in you. They're interested in themselves. So guerrilla marketing is you marketing. Almost everything in a guerrilla marketing website is oriented to the visitor to the website. Another difference, traditional marketing is always about taking what's the lifetime value of a customer. That's very important to know. But in this, this decade and the decades to follow, marketing is more about giving than taking Give people something that will help them get closer to their goals. If you think of giving, uh, you're going to make a much warmer relationships. A 13th difference, traditional marketing would have you believe that advertising works or PR works or having a website works. But guerrilla marketing to those notions, it says nonsense and nonsense and nonsense. Advertising doesn't work anymore and PR doesn't work nearly the way it used to work. And everyone has learned by now that having a website is a sure path to financial oblivion because you can't make money with a website. So what does work? The only thing that works now and in the future are marketing combinations. If you do advertising and you have PR and you have a website, all three will help each other work. Your job is to be aware of the weapons of marketing and then to find the combinations that work best. And another difference, traditional marketing at the end of the month counts up sales, counts up money. Guerrilla marketers count up relationships. How many new relationships did we establish this month? That's the question they ask. They know relationships are the key to the vault. 
another difference. Traditional marketing made no allowance for technology because the technology of yesterday was expensive and it was very limited. It was not versatile and certainly it was too complicated. But guerrilla marketing requires you to be very techno-cozy, which is very easy because these days technology is easier than ever before. It's more inexpensive than ever before. It's more varied in what it can do for you. So if you are technophobic, you've got to make an appointment with your techno shrink because technophobia is fatal these days. A 16th difference, uh, traditional marketing aims its messages at groups. The larger the group, the better. Guerrilla marketers aim their messages at individuals. If it must be a group, the smaller the group, the better. And by marketing to individuals, you'll be talking to people who will only the people who are interested in your product because at any given point, only 4% of people want to buy what you're selling. Another 4% want to learn much more about it in a hurry. But that means 92% just don't care. And your job as a guerrilla marketer is to ignore those 92% or just don't care and focus your efforts on those individuals who are in the 8% who do want to buy right now or are ready to learn more and then buy. Traditional marketing is very unintentional because only it identifies the main weapons of marketing, um, radio, television, magazines, newspapers, the Internet. But guerrilla marketing is very intentional because they recognize the details of marketing, the neatness of your premises, the attire worn by your, your representatives, the way your telephone is answered. Marketing is a lot of details. Another, or there's only 22 differences. I'm on 18 right now, Brad. Uh, traditional Jay, he's a genius. Have... I'm, I'm taking so many notes here, it's not funny, and I'm hoping all my listeners are taking notes as well. And I hope I'm not talking too fast or too slow, but traditional marketing has always had people believe that they can make the sale through marketing, and that used to be the truth, but it's not the truth anymore. All that marketing can really hope to do now is to gain people's consent to receive marketing materials from you. And um, most people will withhold their consent because they're in that 92% who just doesn't care. But uh, 8% will give their consent. They want to hear from you. So the messages you send to them, this is where the word opt-in comes from, are anticipated. They're relevant. They're fascinated to hear what you have to say. So your job is to gain that consent and then broaden that consent. And the more you gain it, the longer your list the more you broaden it, the more shining your profits. Nineteenth difference, traditional marketing has, been, has always been a monologue with one person doing all the talking, one person doing all the listening, one person doing all the writing, somebody else doing all the reading. Guerrilla marketing is a dialogue. It's a give and take. It recognizes that the huge difference in uh, the Internet is its interactivity, and that means you invite a dialogue, and that leads to relationships. A 20th difference of the 22 is that traditional marketing has always sold the positive benefits of, of a, a service or a product. Guerrilla marketing says it's great to sell positive benefits, but focus on the problems of what people have and try to sell solutions to problems. Those are much easier to sell. And of the 22 differences, the 21st is, and this is a big one for people to recognize, it used to be taught, you should, taught that you should sell people what they want. But it's now known, gorillas have learned this first, that you don't tell people what they want because if they, what they want goes awry, they're going to blame you for selling them the wrong thing. So the idea is to sell people what they need, not what they want. 
talk to them, ask questions, find out what 3D makes them tick, then you'll know what they need. And when you recommend that and they buy it, not only will they remember you forever, but they'll spread the word about you because you didn't sell them what they wanted. You sold them what they needed. They'll be forever grateful. Uh, and the 22nd difference is that traditional marketing only identifies a handful of marketing weapons. I mentioned them already, radio, television, magazines, newspapers, the Internet. That's really about it. Uh, guerrilla marketing provides 200 different marketing weapons, 200 weapons, and over 100 of them are free. These are all listed on our website at gmarketing.com. And in my latest two books, we, we try to give people access to the 200 weapons, and then we say be aware of all of these and pick out the combination that works for you. So what guerrilla marketing comes from is the idea of um, – Gorillas want conventional goals. They want profits in their business, joy in their life, balance with their family. But uh, the, the uh, conventional goals, uh, they can't reach them the conventional ways because they don't have the conventional funds. So they've got to go about reaching them with the unconventional ways. I've been talking about those uh, just in these past few minutes. And so gorillas go after conventional goals using unconventional means. And those 22 differences that I just listed are the differences uh, in explaining why guerrilla marketing has grown so much worldwide and is now in 62 languages, uh, which means I don't understand 61 editions of my own book. But it shows that the whole world is discovering guerrilla marketing because it's simple and mainly because it works. works for everybody, works all the time, and it works in every nation on Earth. Yeah. Uh, Jay, I... I know. I hope everyone's going to go back and re-listen to that segment and take notes right through because I think there's some fascinating points. A couple I'd like to really focus in on. You mentioned there about staying focused, and I've always believed that a business should stay focused and just become the best at what you do, become known as the best at what you do. I think that's been a major part of your brand as well. We are on the same wavelength when it comes to that, Brad, because, yes, uh, we've tried to keep adding more excellence, but keeping to be the same, we try to be the same kind of purveyor of that information, uh, and we do not try to change, uh, uh, and we try to just keep adding more excellence. Aristotle said, excellence is not a thing you achieve, it's a habit you get into, and uh, you've surely done that with your coaching programs. You, you've been able to stand for something that's very lofty and excellent, and instead of changing it around and confusing people, you keep adding more excellence, but you keep your focus. That gives people the confidence to want to do business with you. Yes, we do the same thing, Brad. Yeah, and I think that it's important. Like Even the interview we're doing right now is more of building the brand of coaching and mentoring and staying on that one topic. But you, you talk a lot about, Jay, that you know, technology has changed. Obviously, technology of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube has made the, the gorilla's job so much easier. It sure has. Uh, some people think if they ignore Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, if they ignore those things uh, and LinkedIn, they think they'll go away. But they're not going to go away. They're going to become more and more important. Uh, more companies now use them in a business context than ever before. A year ago, fewer than half used them in a business context. Now over 60% use them in a business context. 
Mm. It's important when things like this come along to learn about them, but to realize they do make the gorilla's job a whole lot easier. But you've got to recognize them for what they are. You can't put all your eggs into the basket of the social media. Uh, neither can you ignore it. You've got to make it part of your media mix. And it's really important that people are learning this in droves. That's the fastest-growing area of marketing right now are the social media. So it's important to know how many businesses are now growing because these help their other, uh, other arsenal they have of, of weapons. Uh, yeah. the, the social media are chances for you to start, start a conversation with people. It's a chance for you to build relationships. One of the keys to succeeding at it is listening. You must master the art of listening. And then you've got to realize that in everything you do in life, it's the opposite of the social media. Because when you use the social media, you are not in charge. And everything does not go your way. You're a participant, but you're certainly not in charge. And everything is not up to you. It's up to the other people out there. And once you become sensitive to that, you'll realize that sensitivity will help you in every other aspect of your business. Yeah, very important. Jay, I've, I've, over the last month or so, been writing blogs about social media really should be called interactive databasing. And I'd, I'd like your thoughts on that because I personally believe the old database or CRM idea of where you keep a list of names and attributes on, on your computer is gone to now on Facebook, Twitter, uh, in LinkedIn, you keep a, a, an interactive ability with your prospects and with your customers, and you communicate with them many times. And I guess it helps us with those 27 communication points with people as well. Uh, what's your thoughts on the interactivity that's developed with these databases? I'd like to think them as. I think that you are hitting the nail right on the head, Brad, because that that is one of the magic parts of of the social media, the interactivity of it. And you're right, databases have changed. It's no longer names. It's the information you have about these people. It's the information that you impart to them and that you learn from them. And when people start realizing it is all about interactivity, they'll be able to use this enormously valuable tool in ways they haven't thought of before. And they'll look at their old database as just what it is, old and tired. And they'll have to realize the database is way more than just having a name. And as I mentioned before, it's so important to have relationships with people. You can't get relationships with people if you just have their name, but you can if you have them in in, an interactive database such as you can collect uh, with your, your active participation in the social media. We've got a book that'll be coming out in the spring called Gorilla Social Media Marketing because it's so much a part of marketing. I remember when um, I wanted to write a book called Guerrilla Market on the Internet in 1993. My publishers were terrified of the idea of using a new word like that in a book title. You can't use a new word in a book title. That scares people. I said, but everyone's going to know what Internet means eventually. Well, we're not sure. They said, why don't you call it Guerrilla Marketing Online? So um, we did. And now, of course, everybody knows what Internet is. The same thing is happening with the social media. Although many people disdain it, look away from it, and ignore it, and are scared of it, the world is learning to embrace it, and it will become as as much a part of marketing as the Internet is right now. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I'm, I'm fully embraced on it, and I know that some of my other interviews coming up are people that are just per- perfect experts on this subject. But I want to go back to guerrilla marketing just for a moment, and 
One of the things that you talk about is the numbers in there. I've always said that marketing is math. If the math works, it's good marketing. If the math doesn't work, it's bad marketing. And gorillas are really, uh, I guess, we're, we're measurers, I guess. It's almost like we're as good an accountant as we are marketers in many ways. Uh, how, how is it, Jay, that, that we can get people across to that mindset? Because still a lot of people, they don't measure enough of their marketing responses or their results from their, their marketing efforts. Well, I think that most businesses... Um, lose half their, they leave half the money that they have access to, they leave it on the table because they don't engage in measurement. Measurement is probably the least glamorous part of marketing, but one of the best marketing companies in the history of the planet, Procter & Gamble, they spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy measuring the efficacy of the marketing that they do do. And their ability and their reverence of the concept of measurement is one of the reasons why they have grown consistently over the years, again, all over the world. Uh, Because uh, I I talk about using a lot of marketing weapons, but the reality is that if you you embrace a lot of weapons and try them, many are going to hit the center of the bullseye and others are going to miss the target entirely. And how are you going to know which is which? Only if you engage in the measurement, if you do the math and find out that you've got to abandon this weapon because it's just plain not working and the numbers prove that. Uh, and if you also can prove that certain of the weapons are working, you kind of double up on your focus of utilization of these weapons. And it's important to constantly pay attention to, to keeping score as to how well you're doing. And the way to keep score is not just with your profits, but also by measuring, finding out where did people first hear of you? What did they hear about you? Are they happy with the experiences that they've had? It's free to do customer research, but the most valuable research you really can do is the research questionnaires you prepare yourself and find out from customers all about them as a person, as an individual, as a family, as a business owner, and then you'll find out how they how they stack up as a customer and where to find out the people just like them. Mm, yeah, I think that's the more you know about them, you can find more people just like them, and especially your A-grade customers. You know, that 20% that brings you 80% of your business, you've got to get focused on marketing to them uh, as a primary audience. So many people just want to get a customer. I don't want to get a customer. I want to get a brilliant customer. You know, make a, a customer that'll stay with me for life and give me lots of referrals and spend a lot of money. That's uh, so you measure who those are, and dang, it's going to be good. Now, I I've, I know that I've learned a lot of this stuff from you, and there's a lot of so-called secrets to guerrilla marketing, Jay. But they're not really secrets because, man, you've written so many books. It's it's phenomenal. I know you and I are working on a book together, the Guerrilla Multiplier. And, but if you look at what what would you say to a brand new person to gorilla? What are the secrets of gorilla marketing? Well, I'd say there are there are nineteen secrets, and each one is one word long. Right, I'm gonna, I'm going to get my pen out and I'm going to start taking notes again. <laughs> and each one of the secrets ends in the letters E N T, and the first secret is one of the most important. Of course, I think all of these. It's a nineteen way tie for first place, but. I worked on the cigarette brand, which is uh, when we were called in to work on the cigarette brand, and this was in the 60s, this brand was mired in 31st place, and it was thought of as a feminine brand. 
they asked if we could change their 31st ranking and do something about that perception as a feminine cigarette. Uh, we said we'd give it a shot, so we immediately sent a couple of photographers and um, a couple of photographers and an art director to a friend's ranch in West Texas. We told them to shoot photographs that are unposed for two weeks. We said in each picture you'd need just three things, beautiful scenery, cowboys, and horses. That's all. While they were away shooting those photographs of beautiful scenery, cowboys, and horses, we invented a fictional place, and we called it Marlboro Country. We had a theme line, come to where the flavor is, come to Marlboro Country. Well, when we got the photos back and we pasted the words on the pictures, we thought, this is it. So we immediately flew back to New York, uh, or flew to New York, and we exposed the marketing campaign to them. The Marlboro brand group liked it so much they agreed to invest $18 million in it the first year. And inside of a year, the Marlboro man became a cultural icon. It was on radio, television, magazines, newspapers. And the brand that had been the 31st largest selling cigarette in the country was still the 31st. The brand that had been perceived of as a feminine brand was still perceived of as a feminine brand. But now we switch to today. And we see that Marlboro is the number one selling cigarette in America, number one to men, number one to women. It's the number one selling cigarette on planet Earth. One of every five cigarettes sold in this world is a Marlboro. Here's the shocker. Nothing has changed. It's still beautiful scenery, cowboys and horses. It's, it's still about come to where the flavors come to Marlboro country. So, the, so what made that brand such a success? It's known now as the best marketed brand in history to the one-word answer that ends in E-N-T. It's the same thing that makes a marriage work or a business work. It's the same secret that helps you complete the marathon that you've started. The word is commitment. I don't like admitting this in public, Brad, but mediocre marketing with commitment works better than brilliant marketing without commitment. That's the first secret. Commit to your marketing plan. The second secret is of the word investment, because that's what marketing really is. It's a conservative investment that always works if you go about it right. I'm speaking right now about how to do it right. You don't walk away from an investment. You give it a chance to work on the 30 NT word, is you're going to get a lot of advice from people who love you but give you horrible marketing advice. Your spouse, your coworkers, your family, your friends, they're going to tell you to... Uh, they're going to be bored with your marketing, and they're going to ask you to switch. If it's your job is to give them a nice warm hug, then send them on their way, knowing they know beans about marketing, your job is to be consistent. That's the third ENT word after commitment and investment. Being consistent is really the most important thing you can do because it will let people know if they can trust you. And the fourth ENT word refers to a study that was done in 1998 and repeated in 2008, and the results were the same, as I believe they'll be the same 10 years from now and 10 years after that. They asked this question, why do customers patronize the businesses that they do, buy the brands that they buy? Why do they patronize the same uh, services uh, that they, they uh, uh, why do they patronize your service versus somebody else's? And of all the variables, the fifth most important was price. 14% of people said price is number one to me, which means 86% of people said there are more important things than price. The fourth factor in why people patronize the businesses that they do is selection. Selection is crucial to people. They'll usually buy the best of your selection. The third most important reason they patronize a business is service. 
and the only definition of service that gorillas abide by is that service is anything the customer wants it to be. And once you can understand that's what service really is, you really understand the true meaning of service, but yet that's the only, the third most important reason people patronize the businesses they do. The second most important reason is quality. And again, I'll redefine quality because it's not what you thought it was. Quality isn't what you put into your product or your service. It's what people get out of your product or your service. You're talking about quality. Talk about it in terms of what they think, not what you think. They don't really care what you do to make the product excellent. They care about what they're going to get out of it. And yet quality is only the second most important reason. So after price and after selection and service and quality, what is supposed is the number one, overwhelming number one winner in my people patronize the business that they do and purchase the brands that they do? The answer is that they tend to patronize businesses in which they are confident. Interesting how your commitment will make them confident. You treating your marketing as an investment and not abandoning it will make them confident. You being consistent will make them confident. If they're confident, they are customers. So the fifth secret describes your personality. You have got to be a patient person. Who else can make a commitment, hang in there with investment, and be consistent enough to make people confident? Only patient people can. The sixth ENT word is that people is that it reminds you that advertising doesn't work anymore. And lots of the old weapons of marketing don't work anymore. The only thing that works now is an assortment of marketing weapons. And I can't give anybody the assortment, but I can give them uh, 200 weapons to choose from and tell them they're going to have to check these all out to find out which assortment will work best for them. And the seventh ENT word uh, requires me to tell a lie, and I'll tell this lie because most people have bought into it all their lives. Here's the lie. Time is money. That's not true. The Roper Poll, the Harris Poll, the Gallup Poll, the universities of Pennsylvania and Maryland conduct studies each year on what Americans cherish the most. And in 1988, time went to number one on the list, and it's been number one on the list ever since then. It will be number one on the list for the rest of our lives because people now know that time isn't money. Time is life. You've got to orient everything in your business to be convenient. That's the seventh ENT word, to not waste the time of your customers. The eighth ENT word tells you when the profits will roll into your bank account, not at the time of the sale, but subsequent to the sale because of the follow-up you'll do. And the ninth ENT word reminds people that people do not read marketing materials or advertising or brochures or websites. They only read what interests them. Sometimes it's about a product or a service. You've got to tell people the truth about what they're going to get out of your efforts and have an element of amazement in your marketing. That's going to get people's attention. That's what's going to interest them, amazement, which is the ninth secret. The 10th ENT word we talked about before, Brad, because it's going to save half of your marketing money, and that is the word measurement, because all your marketing weapons won't work, and some are going to work better than you thought, and you've got to measure the efficacy of your efforts to see which weapons work best for you. The 11th ENT word describes your relationship with other people who you market to, other people who who are on your planet, and that is the word involvement. It's no longer a matter of hollering across the street. It's a matter of whispering in somebody's ear, following up with them. And if you follow up with them and listen to what they say, they prove their involvement with you by buying what you're selling, by referring your product to other people. 
The 12th ENT word reminds us of one of the most powerful weapons of all marketing. Just go to Google and look up affiliate marketing, and you'll realize that we're no longer living in the age of the lone wolf and entrepreneur. We're living in an interdependent society. That's why the 12th word is dependent. You've got to form strategic alliances with lots of businesses around the world and have a lot of affiliates because they will be dependent on you. You should be dependent on them. You don't need any lawyers to be involved. But you learn that being an independent entrepreneur is no longer the name of the game. The 13th ENT word, we've talked about this also already. It's, it's defined in the dictionary as the equipment necessary to wage and win battles. It is the word armament and the armament of guerrillas is technology. Easy to use, easy to afford technology. We've also mentioned the 14th ENT word, which is you can't make the sale with marketing. You can only aim to gain people's consent and then broaden that consent. That's the 14th ENT word. The 15th ENT word is about your mother because uh, uh, it used to be taught to people in marketing that the average of the intelligence level of the average person is on par with that of a 12-year-old, but it's now known that the public's intelligence level is on par with that of your mother. And your mother knows not to buy the sizzle, but to buy the steak. Your mother's interested in the real content of your marketing. You've got to focus not on the sizzle, but on the content of what you are selling. Your mother's not going to be won over by special effects or or, or razzle-dazzle or funny headlines. She's looking for the real content. Uh, She's made the mistakes in the past. She's not going to make them anymore. 16th ENT word, after commitment and investment and consistent and confident and after patient and assortment and convenient and subsequent and after amazement and measurement and involvement and dependent, after armament and consent and content, reminds you that once you've launched a guerrilla marketing attack and once you've got it underway, don't just sit there because your competitors are getting smarter every day. They're trying to see what makes you tick, and they're trying to tick even better than you. So your job is to augment your attack. Make it stronger on a regular basis. Augment your attack. Don't rest on your laurels. The 17th ENT word, here am I telling everybody to commit to a campaign, but how are you going to know what to commit to? Answer, experiment. Experiment with minor inexpensive failures. Test what you're doing in inexpensive media with with email, and by experimenting, then you'll know what to commit to. Experimenting doesn't cost much, just a willingness to get egg on your face. The 18th of the 19 secrets is that you can't have one person create your website and somebody else write your PR and somebody else write your, your brochures and somebody else speak on the phone to your target market. You've got to have all those things following the same strategy. All your marketing must be congruent with each other. You've got to be pulling in the same direction. You can't win a tug of war with 19 people pulling in 19 different directions. You need to pull in one direction. And if you are congruent, you'll win that tug of war. And the 19th difference, uh, the 19th secret of guerrilla marketing is the most important, really, of these secrets because it's important for people to have taken notes. It's important for people to have memorized these words. But the world will belong to those people who implement what they are learning right now. That's really the name of the game because guerrilla marketing is certainly not a spectator sport. 
It requires full participation, and you've got to implement these ideas, nodding your head and saying, that sounds good, isn't going to put money in your bank account, but implementing these ideas will help you exceed your most optimistic expectations and projections. Now, Jay, I've, I've, I've got notes on it, about three pages, just while you're saying that, and I know it's probably about the fourth or fifth time I've heard you teach me that stuff, and every single time I get I get more ideas. So I hope everyone goes back and listens through that again and again and takes more notes on it. And as you said, implement it. That's why we called our company Action Coach, I guess. Now, talking yes. of implementation, there's something you taught me, got to be three or four years ago now, which is how to put together a guerrilla marketing plan, which I think is one of the most genius things that I've ever come across for a marketer. Can, can I get you to teach that to, to all of our listeners today? I'm glad you asked, Brad, because uh, you sure can, because um, one of the reasons people fail in business, the, the failure rate is so high, is because people don't really start with a plan, because I always thought that the two secrets of success in business are to start with a plan and commit to that plan, and it's pretty easy to start with a plan, I've been teaching this since 19, well, since early, before I wrote the first guerrilla marketing book, which was 1984. But I've always told people they need a very simple marketing plan that has only seven sentences. And in my classroom sessions, I give people five minutes to write a guerrilla marketing plan. I did that with Steve Jobs, with Bill Gates, with the people who are running most of the Silicon Valley, Valley uh, 100 largest companies right now. They were in my classes at Berkeley. And I gave them five minutes to create a guerrilla marketing plan. In my life, I've never found that anybody needs more than five minutes because all of these are short sentences. But they address the seven most important areas that a business should be addressing. And you could add 200 pages of documentation to it, but it should be expressed in seven sentences, all short except one. The first sentence tells the purpose of your marketing. And that means what physical act do you want people to take? You want them to click to a website, call an 800 number, click a coupon, look for your product next time they're at the store, go to the store in the first place. What physical act do you want people to take? That's all you put in your first sentence. The second sentence tells the competitive advantage that you will stress to get them to take that step. I know you have a lot of benefits. All companies have a lot of benefits. But what benefits do you offer that your competitors don't offer? That's your competitive advantage. And the second sentence should very simply state your competitive advantage. Probably you have more than one, but focus on the most important one and stress that because it's hard for people to memorize more than one thing. And if you give them one competitive advantage to, to recall, that's where to put it in your second sentence. The third sentence tells your target audience. And that's one of the most important sentences, and it may be that you have more than one target audience. I did work with the largest copying company in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a population center of 8 million people, though San Francisco itself is quite small, under 700,000. Still, I asked the man who ran this copying company, what audience, what, what group of people churn out the most copies? And without any hesitation, he said, the legal industry. And I said, do you have special marketing addressed to the legal industry? He says, no, should I get some extra money to talk to the legal industry? I said, no, don't get extra money. Just redirect some of your money you're using talking to the public and talk to the legal industry. I said, don't invest one extra cent. So he didn't. 
and the next year his profits went up 31%, all because he identified a second target audience. The fourth is the only long sentence. It lists the marketing weapons you'll use. Put it in the list form. As I said, there are at least 200 marketing weapons. More than half of them are free. Make a list of the ones that you want to use, and you'll be able to find them, as I say, in my books on my gmarketing.com website. But that fourth sentence lists the marketing weapons you'll use. The sixth sentence, the fifth sentence, tells your niche in the marketplace. When people hear the name of your business, what's the first thing that enters their mind? They hear Action Coach, they think Action. They hear Volvo, they think Safety. They hear Mercedes, they think Luxury. They hear Porsche, they think Excitement. What's your niche? When people hear the name of your business, what's the first thing that enters their mind? You're in charge of that. That should be expressed loudly and clearly in all of your marketing. The short sentence that tells that niche in your strategy, the sixth sentence tells your identity, not your image, because an image is a lie. Define the dictionary as a facade. Your identity stems from truth and honesty. It's who you really are. And you should express it in what sentence? Your identity, your company personality. And the seventh sentence tells your marketing budget. For for simplicity's sake, I say express your marketing budget as a percentage of your projected gross sales. In 2008, the average American business invested 4% of their gross sales in marketing. Uh, The Revlons of the world, they invested 33% of their projected gross sales. Your job is to figure what percent of your projected gross sales will you invest in marketing. Those seven sentences are so critical. If you don't have those seven sentences, it's like driving across a, a continent without a roadmap. You're not going to hit your destination without a roadmap. And this seven-sentence marketing plan is the gorilla's roadmap to success. Sorry, Jay. I'm just finishing my notes. <laughs> yeah, you know, speak faster than people can write. Yeah, I'm but sorry you, about that. No, you've been teaching this stuff for so long now that it's it's second nature to you. And even for a guy like me who's been doing this for a lot of years, it's still... You know, I still am in awe of of the way you put this stuff together and you make it so easy for us to follow. You know, and I know that you've got a a program coming up next week, uh, which, you know, you invite people to your home for a few days to learn this stuff. And, you know, I'm blown away by the the level with which you commit to teaching this to people, Jay, and I, I, I applaud you for that. If I could just look at one last area that that is really important, and that is... I guess service industries, you know, what what would be maybe one or two keys you could give to service industries, especially in the current economy, as to, you know, how they can make sure they make an extra profitability margin? Well, uh, the first thing I would strongly suggest is not to lower their price, to hold with their prices, because in a ugly economy, people really are careful not to make a purchase mistake. And if they buy the cheapest brand, that probably will be a purchase mistake. In the United States, no product category is led by the lowest price brand. You've got to be proud of your prices and equate that to quality and trust and let people know that in ugly economic times, you just cannot dare make a mistake with a purchase. And that's one of the things I would stress if I was in the service industry. I would, I would also, in any service industry, talk about what I've mentioned earlier, that 
It's not what you do. It's what they get out of what you do. And if you talk about them and what they're going to get out of it, the most important single thing that you can talk to a person about in any sales transaction, especially when selling a service, though, is how people will feel after they've made the purchase. Because all all purchases are made for emotional reasons, even though people will uh, explain it and rationalize it with logical reasons. It's emotional reasons that cause them to make the purchase. So if you talk to them about how they will feel after they have purchased your service and how they will feel during the times, the months, or the years that they continue to use your service, they can resonate with that. They can identify with that, and that's going to really motivate them to want to buy what you are selling, talking to them about the feelings they'll have after they've made the purchase of what you are selling, after they see what the services that you offer are doing for them. And if you can get to think of, if you can get them to think in those terms about themselves and what they will get after they've transacted business with you, that's the best single thing that you can talk to them about because you're talking to them about themselves, but you're also talking to them about themselves in relationship to you. And if you can talk to them about those things, you're talking about the right things to them. A service business should be sold on those emotional reasons, even though I know, especially in your business, you've got lots of really serious, rational reasons that you can give them for why they ought to be patronizing Action Coach and doing work with your people, because I know I've met many of your people. I know how outstanding, extraordinary they are, and it's great for you to be able to say that, and it's the truth, but people care more about what that's going to mean to them. So talk to them about your extraordinariness and what it's going to mean to them, and I think that's how you sell a service business, not on lowest price, but on the feelings that people will have after they've utilized your services, put them to work and get them to visualize and internalize what it's going to mean to them to do business with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, buddy. That's great stuff. Now, I'm going to put a link uh, right underneath this so people can find out about the program you got next week and any of the up, other upcoming programs. But you, you've got only a few spots left for the next week's program, which and because you and I have done a lot of things together over the years, you're going to do a deal for my people where basically it's it's pretty much half price for any of my coaches or any of my clients, um, which I, I've got to say thank you very much for because, you know, it, it, it's going to mean a lot to people to be there for just under 5000 US dollars for three full days with you uh, in a very intimate setting. I've I got to say that's a brilliant offer, and I hope that uh, several of my coaches and my clients will actually take advantage of it. Um, so thank you very much for that. Jay, if you had one piece of advice for people uh, that just sort of rounded us off today, that just sort of said, you know what, I finish with this topic or this message to you, what, what would that be, buddy? Uh, I will, I, because I believe in practicing what I preach, and I preach repetition, start with a plan. Start with a very simple plan that will not put people to sleep. A guerrilla marketing plan won't put people to sleep. And then commit to that plan. And I know that's easier for me to say than for people to do, but it's the commitment to that plan that's going to really help you stand out from amongst the rest of the crowd and really help you make your dreams come true. Start with a plan and commit to the plan. I wish I could make it more complicated than that, but it's not more complicated than that. Starting with a plan is real easy. Five minutes of time is all you need. You've got to trust your instincts when you write a guerrilla marketing plan and then commit to that plan. 
And that means you've got to ride above your instincts because sometimes things will happen that are bad and will cause you to say, well, maybe I'm doing everything wrong. Your job is not to think I'm doing everything wrong, to realize that you're doing everything right and you need patience to wait and see it take bloom. And it will take bloom, it will blossom, and it will give you incredibly good returns if you've got what it takes to hang in there. And I told you what it takes. It takes patience. So that's it. Start with a plan and commit to the plan. And if people do that, they're going to realize that the time they spent hearing our conversation may be the most valuable time they ever put into their business. Jay, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it immensely. I thank you very much for your insightful questions and your giving me this, this opportunity to speak to your people. Thank you for listening to Master Mentors. Join us next week as Brad Sugars continues to search for people we can learn from together. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play so you don't miss out on these great lessons. You can also find more great learnings from Brad himself at bradsugarsblog.com. See you next time.